All right, take your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. This whole series that we've been doing is on standards, and more specifically, it's about the standards of our appearance, what we wear, what we look like, especially to a non-Christian world. Um, and, I, and I realize that the very fact that I've, that I've dared to teach on this or tried to explain this um, in a lot of ways and to a lot of people, especially on, on the outside and, and looking in, in Christianity today, realize, you know, uh, reveals that I'm, I'm an oppressor, I'm a sexist, I'm a, you know, I'm a scripture manipulator and all of these other things because the world of Christianity is so enlightened today that we don't need this stuff anymore. Um, but a lot of the rationale behind that negative opinion is, you know, is, is um, um, tied to what we're going to talk about today. And I want to tackle really that wrong thinking head on. And I just have two very simple points. We're going to look at a lot of Bible tonight. So have your Bible ready and turn to as many of these with me as you can. But I, I, would, I would say that if you were to, if you were to gather, just go out into to Henrico County and, and, and just go to 10 different churches and ask 10 different quote-unquote Christians, and, and let's just say that they are, that they know that they're saved and everything else, and, and just pick them at random and ask them if our outward appearance matters, and probably 9 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, would say no, it does not matter. And why is that? Well, because of this reason, God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart, so your appearance doesn't matter. First Samuel chapter 16, and of course, you know this story pretty well. I'm just kind of using this as a jumping-off point because... Uh, God was looking for a new king to anoint, and Samuel went to uh, Jesse's house. That's where God told him to go, and of course, the first person that he saw was Eliab, the oldest brother, and boy, he looked like a king. On the outside, he had the stature and the, and the physique and everything else, and, and uh, Samuel said, surely this is the one that God wants to be the next king. Well, we come down to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. Or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And that's not all. The Bible speaks of the importance of the heart over and over and over. And I want you to look at a few of these verses with me, if you will. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. You know, you hear this all the time. Follow your heart, right? Follow your heart. Do what, do what, do what feels good to you. If, if, it's, if it's something that you want to do, then follow your heart. Well, the Bible says very plainly in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's a rhetorical question because we all know it, right? We all know that our hearts are going to deceive us. Um, but it's a, it's a verse about our heart. Turn over to Matthew chapter 22. While you're turning over there, uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 is a very familiar verse to us as well, but we get saved when we believe in our heart, right? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, right? So our heart is important when it comes to salvation. Here's another aspect. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul and with all thy mind. We're to love God with all our hearts. Here's another one, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. It's our heart that has to be right with God. Acts chapter 8, and we see in, in verse 21. 
And these, this, is, this goes back to the Samaritans and Philip witnessing to them and so on, but I'm not going to take the time to go through it. But I, I, this, it's not pulling it out of context to say, uh, to read just this one verse, but Acts chapter 8 and verse 21 says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Well, obviously it matters very much to God then what our heart looks like, and he can tell if our heart's right with him or if it's not right with him. And that's something that somebody looking from the outside cannot tell, right? I can't, I can't see your heart. I don't know if you're saved or not saved. I don't know if your heart is clean or if your heart is full of wickedness. I don't know, but God does, and obviously he puts, a, puts, a very, puts very much importance on it. Go, go to 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to look at a couple, couple verses here, a couple different passages here in 1 Kings. But God was pleased with David. David had a desire in his heart to build God a house, even though David was not allowed to be the one to build it because he was a man of war. Solomon was the one who ended up eventually building the temple to God and, and so on. Because, uh, but David, David had that desire in 1 Kings chapter 8, and verse number 17. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Look at 1 Kings chapter 15. Because we see this, and of course, you know, this is, this is a man, David, who made mistakes, right? Who made mistakes that are bigger than most people will ever make in their life. Most people in their lifetime are not going to commit adultery. Most people in their lifetime are not going to commit murder. David did both at the same time, for the, pretty much, right? But God said this about David in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse number 3. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord of his God, as the heart of David his father. Think about that. The heart of David was perfect with God. That's what God said. Look back at 1 Kings chapter 11, because Solomon came after David, and Solomon got away from God. And, and even though he's known as the, the wisest man in, to, to have ever lived, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Um, and, and actually, in the book of Proverbs, 24 different times, Solomon uses that little two-word phrase, the heart. So obviously, he, he, even he understood the importance of the heart. But you see what happened to him in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 4. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Well, Jesus, and turn over to Romans chapter 6, because Paul talks about a few things here. But Jesus, and I, I just, there's, there's so many references in there that I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight or to look at them tonight, but Jesus often referenced the importance of obeying God in the heart as, as, he, as prioritized really over simply just the actions in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, you can do these things, but you can do them without the heart in it. You can do these things, but without being right with God. The heart is what matters. That's what he, Jesus said that many, many times especially in the Sermon on the Mount. But Paul said we're supposed to obey from the heart there in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul said that we're not supposed to seek to please other people with eye service, as he called it, what they can see, but we're supposed to do the will of God from the heart. He says that very plainly in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number six, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter three. We find Peter here in the context of discussing appearance, specifically places a priority on the heart over and above the appearance. He says in 1 Peter chapter three and verse number four, 
But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. And I'm not going to belabor the point because there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about the heart. But you say, then what's the problem? They're right. All that matters is the heart. And, it, 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 and, and, the, and the simple truth is, no, they're not right. All that matters is not the heart. Uh, the right view is to grasp this. Scripture never says that all that matters is the heart. It puts great importance on it. The heart matters most, but it's not all that matters is the heart. And turn over to Genesis chapter 17. In fact, Scripture very explicitly and repeatedly says that we ought to cultivate a great love for God in our hearts. It also says that this love for God in our heart should work its way outward into how we live our lives, very practically, in every single way. And I, even I mentioned it this morning, what is in the heart is eventually going to come out. And because it's going to come out, then what's in the heart matters, but what is in the heart is what people are going to see. It's going to work its way outward. And so the heart matters very much, but it's not the only thing that matters. And I want to illustrate this with, a, with a, 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 um, an illustration that we find in the Bible. And, and honestly, for us, it's, it's kind of an awkward illustration, if you will, but we find it all the way throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And that is with the idea of circumcision. And that was the right that God, the R-I-T-E, the right that God used with the children of Israel. And that's what separated them from everybody else. And honestly, one of the things that, that, um, uh, that identified somebody with uh, believing, if you will, in the God of Israel, because there were, there were people from other nations who came in and believed on the God of Israel, and one of the things that they did to prove that they believed that was to, was to get circumcised, right? And so we find this, um, Genesis chapter 17 is actually the first time that the idea of circumcision is referenced in the Bible. But it's portrayed as an external, visible evidence of every generation's acceptance of God's covenant. Those who rejected that were essentially rejecting God's covenant with them. And it says in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 11, And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Because this was, this, was, this was something that was very visible and something that was very uh, seen on the outside but it had a lot bigger impact in the way that God intended for that to be shown. Uh, this external visible circumcision was directly tied to the condition of the heart. It was an outward evidence, and this is kind of the point of everything that we're talking about. It was an outward evidence of an inner belief. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 16. He says this, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Now, obviously, that's not something that they could do, not something they could do physically. You're not going to cut somebody's chest open, rip it, up, rip it out, and then circumcise the foreskin of the heart. He was using that as if in a very symbolic way, just the same way that circumcision is this covenant between me and you. The same should be done with the heart. But this was the inside. The circumcision was the outside. Turn over just a few chapters later to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse number six, he says this, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Oh, we're right back at the heart, right? That's the most important thing. That's the only thing that matters. But God demanded that the heart 
be visibly evidenced in their appearance. Turn over to Exodus chapter 4. Do you know why Moses was so vehement about this? Because God almost killed Moses for not following this rite of circumcision, if you will. God confronted him about it, and he almost killed him over it. Moses, as you know, had grown up in Pharaoh's house, right? A Gentile culture. Moses was only five years old about when he went to live in Pharaoh's house. So everything he knew, and he might have had a few memories from his time with his mom and with his sister and growing up there with his, with his people, but Moses knew nothing but the Gentile culture. And at 40 years old, he fled and he lived until he was 80 years old in another Gentile culture. And so he married a Gentile. And not surprisingly, he could not convince his wife of the importance of this strange to her custom of circumcision. She refused to let Moses circumcise their sons. And that's when we pick it up there in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 20. And Moses took his wives and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Now, if you know Exodus chapter 4, this is where God called Moses to go lead the people out of, out of Egypt. And Moses made all of excuses and all came up with all of those things, but this is, we're right in the middle of that passage. And then we find this in verse number 24. And it came to pass, by the way, in the inn, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Who's he? God. Let Moses go. And then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Now Moses understood from this bitter personal experience that the heart alone, the right intent. Moses had the right intent. Moses' heart was right with God. He was on his way to do what God was calling him to do in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses realized that it was not just about the heart. God essentially got a hold of Moses by the lapel and he said, you better do this or you're going to die. God sought to kill Moses, right? And so Moses, against the wishes and the will of his wife, circumcised his children, and she called him all kinds of things, you know, bloody husband and all of this other stuff because of what Moses did, but Moses understood the right intent and the love for God on the inside was not enough. There had to be this visible outward expression of what was going on in the inside. The, that right heart had to be shown externally in the appearance in order to obey God. Turn over to Romans chapter 2. Moses understood and he expressed the Torah um, ex expressed in the Torah that the Jews over time just slowly got away from and eventually they arrived at the place where circumcision became not just an outward expression of an inward belief, but it was just something that was good in and of itself, right? And so that's why Paul in Romans points the Jews back to what Moses and Jeremiah had said in the Old Testament. They were just doing this rite of circumcision because that's what they had always done. It didn't, it didn't, equate, it, it didn't equate into an inner belief. It was just this was... Kind of what we talked about last week, just conforming to something because that's what's always been and because somebody told you that you had to do it and so on. But Romans chapter 2 and verse number 28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. Oh, you say, see, exactly. Exactly. We're back at, the, back at the heart. The heart's what matters. 
But, that, but the statement has to be finished biblically. The heart is what matters most. God, and, and, and God, through Paul, was saying, hey, you're doing everything on the outside, but the inside is wrong. So you can't say that the heart is the only thing that matters. The heart is what matters most. And if your heart really cares about what God cares about, then it's going to be reflected in your outside. And if your outside does not reflect the heart that's in love with God, then that simply proves that your heart's not in it after all. And that's exactly what Paul was getting on these Christians about. You're doing all this stuff right on the outside, and actually on the Jews as he was getting You're doing everything right on the outside, but your heart's not in it. Your heart's not right, and that's exactly the mindset that Zipporah had. It's not just the heart. It's first the heart and then the rest. It's not just the inner man. It's first the inner man and then the rest. It's not just the internal. It's first the internal and then the, 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 the external. It's not just the inside. It's first the inside and then the outside. It's not just what cannot be seen. It's first what cannot be seen, but then what can be seen. And if you reject this, then you're actually rejecting the heart of all of what God is talking about. Our outside is going to reflect what is on the inside. You might be thinking, you know, but circumcision, really? That's so Old Testament. And I, and I understand that. I, I chose it because it pairs with what God later shows us in the New Testament. In fact, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because in that process, we see revealed a God who has consistently called for the exact same thing in every dispensation, right? The same way that, you know, we're not saved differently today in this dispensation than they were saved in the Old Testament, right? We see them doing uh, sacrifices and making atonement for their sins and all of those things, but it wasn't those works that saved him save them. It was, it was their belief in God. It was, it was their belief that Jesus Christ was going to send the Messiah that was going to cover their sins. They're saved in the Old Testament the same way that we're saved in the New Testament. And this, this, this dispensational idea didn't change anything when it came to this. God desires to reach your inside, in your heart, to change you there in your heart, and then see the change work its way outward. The outside's important. The appearance is important. What people see is important. Why? It's because that's the evidence of what they cannot see, right? How do you judge somebody's heart? How do you judge whether somebody's a, a, a Christian or not, right? You see somebody dressed in all black with black eyeshadow and in leather gloves and, you know, uh, just, just really weird looking on the outside with all kinds of piercings and everything else. doesn't mean that they're not necessarily saved, but it wouldn't give you the impression that they are. Right? Why is that? Well, you can't see their heart. You don't know if that guy's saved or not. Well, I, I don't. I can't see the inside, but I'm judging the inside by what I see on the outside. So the outside does matter. And if, you're, if you want to reflect Christ being on the inside, then the way that you reflect that is what people see on the outside. It doesn't make you a Christian because you look good on the outside, but what is on the inside should be reflected in what comes out. When you got saved, was it just your spirit that God intended to sanctify? Was it the only, only the inside that he wanted to change, or did he want to change everything in your heart? It was your spirit and your body, and we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So if he's trying to change us on the inside... That's the spirit that's changed, but he also wants to change us on the outside when we get saved too. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul knew the truth of their love for God in his heart, but that truth 
could not remain inward. It had to be visible on the outside. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that the evidence of your changed lives is what people see to know that God has done a work on the inside. Right? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Things should be honest first invisibly in the sight of the Lord, but that's not enough. And he talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 21. Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Well, it doesn't matter because men can only see the heart, right? They can't tell what's going on in your heart. The Lord can, and that's why we want honest things in the sight of the Lord, but we also have to have those honest things in the sight of men as well. Our salvation is an inward thing that affects the heart. It was designed that way because that the heart is where the seat of sin lies, right? That's what we need to clean out. That's what we need to get right with God, and you've heard that, that phrase many times, get your heart right with God. Right? Because that's what God sees, and that's where the seed of our emotions lies and everything else. But it was also specifically designed to work its way outward to be very visible to others. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. I told you we were going to look at a lot of verses, and we don't have too many more. But this, this passage, I want, I want to make sure that we look at. Because I think it's very important to understanding just exactly what the heart of God is. And, and honestly, the heart of Paul, but it was the heart of God through Paul that explain these things to us. And we see this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul was saying that what, is, what, what took place on the inside, that inward change should work its way outward in the way that we live our lives. And that's why Paul also tells us that there's a way of life that ought to accompany an inner possession of holiness. Turn over to Titus chapter 2, and this will be the last place that we turn tonight. Titus chapter 2. And, and honestly, Paul gets to talking about um, a, a lot of different things here in the way that we ought to act and look and behave and everything else. And, but, but he's saying that, that holiness, while it starts on the inside, and while holiness is, it only counts as holiness if it is on the inside, should express itself on the outside. It should be, if you really have holiness on the inside, it should be very visibly seen on the outside. That is chapter 2 and verse number 3. And, and again, just for the sake of, of time, he's talking about a lot of different things. Verse number 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. Verse number 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And he goes on and on. Look at verse number 10. Talking about uh, verse number nine, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
adorn, that word adorn is defined by the dictionary as, quote, to enhance the appearance with beauty. And in the original language, the connotation that's there is, is, is the idea of decoration or beautifying something, right? So the word is used, that word adorn is used 10 times in the New Testament. So what it's talking about here, a woman, or for that matter, a man as well, ought to portray themselves in a visible uh, in a, it, visibly in such a way that the doctrine she believes or he believes in, 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 in his heart is evident. In, in, and I'm just using her because that's what it's talking about here in this passage in verse number three, but evident in her bearing and in her speech and in her clothes and in her hair and in her actions. Those should be visible evidence of an invisible fact. I want, and, and you see back there in verse number three, that they should, in beha- that they should be in behavior as becometh holiness. Well, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside because only the inside matters. And if you're holy on the inside, then it doesn't matter what's going to happen on the outside. No, it does matter. The heart matters, and the heart matters the most because there's a lot of people who know how to behave in the right way on the outside whose hearts, I mean, that's why Jesus got on the Pharisees the way that he did, right? On the outside, whited sepulchers, you look great, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. That's what Jesus was saying. The heart is the heart of the matter. The heart matters The heart matters most, but the heart's not the only thing that matters. Because if your heart is right and you have holiness in your heart, then it should come out in your appearance. It should come out in everything else. So to summarize, really, in both the Old and the New Testament, the visible part of our life was designed by God to be an evidence of the invisible part of our life. I've said it many times and I'll continue to say it. Holiness is an inward grace that works its way outward. If I do a good job of explaining it over the next few weeks, then what we're going to see is the principles that govern our appearance are all designed this way. Our appearance is a reflection of the heart. The things that we do on the outside should be, if we're doing it correctly, a reflection of what God has done in us on the inside. Does the heart matter? Absolutely. Is the heart the only thing that matters? No. The heart matters most, the heart matters, and so does the outside. It matters as well. That's an external evidence of an internal spiritual position. And yes, when it comes to our religion, our heart and the inside is, is first and foremost and always. But it's not the only thing. It's the inside, but it's the inside out. That's the way that God expects us to live. So if you keep telling yourself that all that matters is the heart, then you're just, you're wrong. And there's a lot of Christians who will say that. That the only thing that matters is the heart. Doesn't matter what I look like on the outside. But they're wrong. And it's, and it's pretty obvious by a lot of these things that we've looked at tonight that it's not just the heart that matters. The heart matters a lot. But it's the heart coming from the inside and out to our appearance that matters as well. That's how we prove that we have holiness on the inside. That's how we prove that we love Jesus Christ on the inside. That's how we prove that our lives have been transformed on the inside. That's how we prove, because nobody else can look inside your heart and see what you got going on in there, right? God does. God sees what's going on on the inside, but then he expects that inside transformation to make its way outward so that people can see that there has been an inward transformation. And that that is a way of living that is inside out. I'm not saying it's backwards or twisted or messed up. I'm saying it comes from the inside and it works its way out. And that's what people see. And that's what lets people know that, hey, 
This person is, is right with God. This person is holy. This person has been transformed by God. <clears throat> and again, we don't do that for salvation. We don't do it because we're trying to, to, to gain anything from God as far as, you know, um, brownie points or, or a, a higher position in heaven or any of those other things. That, that doesn't change any of that. But what is on the inside should work its way out if what's on the inside is genuine. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our song and be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. <clears throat> thank you for the word of God that we have that can be our guide. And God, I, I know that there's a, a whole group of people in here tonight whose hearts have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, transformed by what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to grasp this concept that what, what's happened on the inside needs to also happen on the outside. And not only that our hearts are transformed, but our, but our outside and our appearance and everything else is transformed and so that when people look at us, they can see that there's something different, not just in the way that we dress, in the way that we... Uh, look on the outside, but even the way that we act and talk and everything else, all of it has to go together if we're going to have an inside-out living. If the inside, uh, if the outside is going to reflect the inside, and I pray that you'd help us to understand these things as we go through it, and that it would reflect itself in the way that we uh, show ourselves to an outside world who is desperately looking for something, and that something is Jesus Christ. And I pray that we'd be able to use that as an opportunity to share the message of the gospel. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.